This is episode number 239, What is the It Factor, with Steve Gamlin, Scott Mason, and Casey Berman. Welcome, my name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who've overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your false potential. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to make a few quick announcements. First one being an invitation to our upcoming conversation this Friday, which takes place at 10.45 a.m. Central Time and is part of our weekly conversation or a weekly series called Survive to Thrive Attitude of Gratitude. In fact, the conversation that you are going to hear is a replay of the conversation that we've had in the previous weeks that revolve around the similar topics that you're about to hear, and that is the connection between gratitude and grief, gratitude and resilience, gratitude and relationships, gratitude and one's potentials, and many other topics. If this is something of interest to you, please consider visiting our website at overcomingodds.today, where you'll be able to find the latest details about where and when the next conversation will be taking place. The second announcement that I wanted to make is this. If this show or if our work has had any form of impact in your life, please consider supporting our cause by either making a contribution through our website or leaving a review through iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can hear these inspiring and courageous conversations. Now, let's get back to the show. Now that we have equal real estate here, okay, and we're all on the same playing ground, I'm grateful before we get into the topic and the theme, I just want to express my gratitude to all of you for not only being a part of this, but continuing to be in my life and support me and everything that I'm doing. It's, um, I feel like this is probably one of the first years, maybe within the last three or so years, I've really been able to understand the impact that gratitude can have in one's life. So my gratitude goes to all three of you for, for being a part of this and everything that you are in my life. No, likewise. It's great to be here. This is like the highlight of my week. So uh, <laughs> a ton of fun. Uh, great to connect with such great people. I learn a lot and it gives me a chance to work through ideas, right? So, Olga, thank you for creating such a great environment. Yeah, I, I didn't have gratitude for you, Oleg, as well as the other two gentlemen on the show, not to mention those who were in the audience. I would have some serious problems. <laughs> yeah. And I agree as well. I mean, I've been keeping gratitude journal for more than nine years now, pen to paper, uh, almost on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So tomorrow morning, it's going to start off with, I was on this Overcoming Odds podcast with these three <laughs> other gentlemen, all of whom get it. They understand why we're here. So thank you. That's awesome. Now, I appreciate all of you for being here and expressing all of that. I figured that the best way that maybe we can even tackle this topic at hand or start off the conversation. So the topic that we wanted to explore was this concept of the it factor. Now, I'll share a brief story with all of you, and I think some of you might know this. Within the past year to maybe even two two years, one of the things that I started to notice more and more about myself 
is that I genuinely started to notice that I have the it factor. Now, I can't tell you what it is, and it's not that I'm hiding it. I just have no idea where to even begin in exploring what is that thing. But I think for me, it started with a feeling. It started with acknowledging the feeling that I have what it takes to be able to achieve whatever it is that I aspire for. I have what it takes to be able to connect with people on a, on a much deeper level within the first five or 10 seconds, whatever the duration is. But I'm curious to hear from the three of you, and maybe this is the best starting point that I could think of, is when you think about the it factor to begin with, what does that even mean to you? Like, how do you personally process what that is? And then the other part of that rather loaded question is, do you believe that you have it? Steve Gamlin, would you okay. like? I was to waiting. I was waiting to see if you were going to call. Three of us were all going to go. Well, I, I figured no, I'll give all of you a little bit of a little bit of time to think about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, for me, the it factor—it's it, kind of like that first grain of sand that's that's inside of an oyster that could become a pearl. It, it's just got this potential. It, it's got something. It may be in its most raw form right now, and it's not anything to really notice yet, or. or you know, we just see the potential that working together, all the things in the environment could create something amazing, but they've got that basic thing that, you know, if it just gets polished or, or pushed in a certain way or mentored or coached or just practiced, it could be something, become something pretty amazing. And it's funny, I could ask this on a radio interview the other day, what would you be doing right now if you're, if you were to have followed your childhood dream? And I said, you know what, here's the coolest part. I'm doing it. Because when I was very young, I saw a TV show called WKRP in Cincinnati. And again, I'm, I'm dating myself here. <laughs> where I saw you know, a radio station. And I saw people playing music for a living and making people happy and doing comedy as well. And I also wanted to be a teacher when I was young, but not in a classroom traditional setting. And I stopped and I thought about it when the host asked me that. I said, well, I am surrounded by creativity and humor because I bring a lot of humor into my speaking and my coaching. And I am teaching people. In my very first speaking events were absolutely horrible, but people kept coming up and saying, you got something, you mean, your, your energy, your connection and your, your, just the way about you, you just got to polish it up a bit. So I feel like the first couple of years of the past 17 as a speaker and an author and a, you know, vision board coach, it's, I'm still polishing, I'm still perfecting, but I've, I've never gotten away from that ability to make people laugh and comfortable and inspire them and cheer them on. And all those little first grains of sand are still manifesting into something that progressively has just gotten better and better, more valuable and more impactful. So I, I believe that's where I started was as a kid with those couple grains of sand, and it's just been polishing ever since. Do you think people are born with that it factor? Do some have it and others don't, or does everyone have it in their own unique way? I think everybody has something that is their, their purpose or their talent or their ability, whether or not they choose to notice it or whether or not they're surrounded by people who encourage it or recognize it and include them into it and can mentor them a little bit. I, I think we're all born with something. Mm-hmm. I think we just need to, to take the time and, and be quiet and actually notice what it is and how we think, how we speak and how we act. I think it'll, it will show itself. Sometimes we may fight it, 
I think we want something else. Mm -hmm. Casey, what are your thoughts? Well, it's a great question. And it the what I hearkened back to was one case I read in law school. And in 1964, Justice Potter, they were talking about free speech. And it's a famous line. You've probably heard it even, even in, in pop culture. And they were talking about free speech and obscenity. And he said, describing obscenity, he said, you know, I don't, I don't know how to define it essentially, but I know it when I see it. And that's in a, his concurring opinion. Supreme Court justice said that. So there's a lot of things out there that even the smartest people in, in long robes can't give a, a verbal definition to. And I think the it factor is one of them. We, we know it when we, when we see it and when we feel it. But I think the feeling is the, is the word. And Oleg, you brought that up. Um, you know, Steve, you're talking about that. And, and so I tried to give some way, if not a definition, but way for us to identify it. And I view the it factor in sort of two ways, the seen and the unseen and sort of the scene is what you can see with someone with an it factor is charisma, engagement. I mean, I think everyone nod their head and go, yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, so there's that element to it. And it doesn't necessarily mean the introverted or the talker, but it's that, that, that can, you want to be around it. So then you go to the other element, which is harder, which is the unseen. And the unseen, and this is why, Oleg, I think you have it, is there's we all want to have a sense of meaning in our life, a sense of purpose. If we don't have a sense of purpose, we're depressed. I mean, that's really where depression comes from. Depression isn't necessarily sadness. Sadness is part of it or rides alongside it. Um, but if we don't have a sense of meaning, a sense of purpose, then we, we, we feel depressed. We feel that emptiness. And one way, if not the way most of us find some sort of sense of meaning and purpose is our, through our relationships with people, with our career, with our country, with whatever it is, fill in the blank, right? That's someone who is fulfilled, who has a sense of purpose. And I think that if you mix this charisma, this engagement, this ability to listen, this ability to connect, to be, to have a ton of energy, also with a sense of just this internal purpose and mission, and, I, and I'm courageous, and I know why I'm here, and I've done the inner work, which Oleg, I know you. When you mix that, that's sort of the best way I can kind of get my arms around the combination of the effector. Mm. Scott Mason? I want everyone to imagine being at the edge of a forest in front of a field in the middle of the night. And all of us are together there, a horde of a humanity. And someone comes up to us and says, in this field, there is a pole with a light at the top. And when you hit it, you and everything around you will light up this darkness like a torch in the night. We all leave. We all wander looking for that pole. Some of us might be distracted by a snack that we see on, side, on the side. Some of us might hear a dog barking and walk in that direction. Some of us might push, even though we're blind and our sense of touch has been grossly impaired. We will push and push and push and not stop until we find that pole. And others just have an intuitive understanding of how to find these poles in the dark. The latter two groups will hit that pole one way or the other through nook or crook, 
It might be easier for the very last group. It might be a little harder for those that just do it through grit. But when they hit that pole, as the man promised, light shines. All of us have the potential in us to have some it factor, absent, mm. severe, and extreme circumstances. Some of us, it's going to be easy because we understand who and what we are and something inside, maybe our environment or our inner personality characteristics, believes that no matter what, we're going to get there. It, and in fact, it's, it's going to be our destiny. It's going to be easy. Some of us understand that there are roadblocks and that work's going to be hard, but they're just the sort of personalities that roll up their sleeves and pile drive their way there no matter what. Those two are the types that ultimately, I believe, live the it factor. Those that are distracted, those that don't believe, those that hear a dog barking and want to play with it and never look up again, or that see a pile of snacks left to keep them away from the light and just chow down. Those are the ones that could have had the it factor, but they don't. The it factor is something that's rare that you don't always see exemplified in the world. And by the way, when it's not exemplified or when it's not actualized in the world, it's a tragedy because I believe that the universe wants all of our it factors to be shining. Mm -hmm. But we understand that most of us can't do it by virtue of the fact that it's rare. We wouldn't have a term called it factor if everyone had it because it would be unextraordinary. Does that yeah. answer your question? It does. <clears throat> and it, it makes me think that, Scott, if there's a topic that you haven't thought of, that story <laughs> needs to be a part of a book. Okay. Yeah. So if this is a public commitment that you, you've got to get to as far as writing a book, <laughs> then let the, the three of us be a witness to that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Accountability. I'm going to run now. <laughs> I'm tied. Go pet I don't believe dog, that, right? by the way. Go, go pet the dog. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that the thing that you mentioned that I find interesting, and I know that uh, especially Steve's work deals with a lot of this, and that's being able to really envision that possibility of having the it factor and having what, whatever that thing is. You know, for me, I look at it as probably a conf combination of confidence, courage, resilience, drive, persistence, and then, and then just also believing in the possibility. There was a book that I read <clears throat> however many months ago that really helped me, I think, amplify my own concept of what it means to have an it factor to be more called, called The Art of Possibility by uh, Benjamin Zander, I believe. The story is that he was a conductor for the Philharmonic Orchestra, I think. And essentially what he told was that he um, told many of these lessons of leadership as he was able to witness them through a form of music. So one of the particular factor, one of the chapters that stood out to me in particular was this concept where he was talking about the theory that you can lead from any chair. Regardless of where you are, regardless of what seat you have, you can still be a leader. And I think that's what one of the things that I picked up from your story, Scott, is that regardless of who you are as an individual 
And regardless of where you stand on the particular spectrum, you can still have the it. You can still lead within that. But I, I, get, I really get curious, though, and, and Steve, this might be a um, question for you, but like you work a lot with envisioning, you know, and, and developing vision boards and things like that. If theoretically all of us have that it, what is the ultimate challenge in envisioning and reaffirming yourself that you have it? I think the biggest part is actually in, in something uh, that you all just said triggered this in my mind is us believing that we actually have it. Now, it's very important to be in an environment of other people who support us, believe in us, mentor us, coach us, and, and cheer us on and pick us up when we're down. But if we don't see that value in ourselves, it's going to be very difficult because we are going to be the trees falling in our own path all the time. We are going to procrastinate. We are going to play small. We're, we're going to not manage our time very well. And we're going to miss opportunities because we've, we've shied away from reaching that pole that's going to light up the night. Mm -hmm. and, and I think a big part of it too, what, what, uh, one of you just said inspired a, a story. It's a Facebook meme that I've seen quite often. And it says, if you have an iron bar, you can make it into horseshoes, which are this value. You can make it into this, which is this value. And finally, what it does is it gets down to the thing where it says you could use it to make the tiniest gears in the most expensive watch in the world. And the value is this. Mm -hmm. it's the same material, but what you create with it and what you can believe you can create with it yeah. and what it actually does, how it plugs into the world and what it allows to happen is going to determine the value of whether or not you think your value is just a simple pair of horseshoes or if you are part of the tiniest gear that runs the most expensive watch on the planet. A lot of it comes down to self-belief and the value that you give to yourself is we're all in charge of that. And if we want to see ourselves in a better place, I believe what we need to do is surround ourselves with the right people who can guide us there and get us to believe in ourselves and help us to. But ultimately, it comes down to us. Are you are you envisioning yourself as a pair of horseshoes? Nothing wrong with that. Or somewhere along the spectrum to a very, very valuable piece of precious metal that's out there powering the world and empowering people around us. And I believe we can lead from any chair. And I say that to all of my clients, mm -hmm. somewhere around you in the shadows, there's somebody that you are a hero to right now that's mm -hmm. looking to you and you are it. Whatever is great about you, whatever innate talent you have for whatever, the impact you have on the world around you automatically makes you a leader. Please conduct responsibly. Yeah. One thing that jumped out as Scott said and what Steve just said is, it, you know, Scott, around, around the, the belief, and Scott mentioned how everyone has it. It's just the reason it is the effector and so exclusive is because we we think it's rare. And, you know, the only reason $10 bill is worth $10 is because we believe it's worth $10. Mm -hmm. um, it's all a construct that that we make, which works for us, right? We're in this matrix. We're in this, this world as a dream, and we need constructs and things to hold on to. It makes total sense. But I, I really find it interesting that the one it's a bit circular but the one thing that is keeping this as a topic and as so rare is that we believe it's rare and we believe it's rare because for most of us there's fear and blockers that are self-imposed that we are getting in the way of us ever having the it factor so therefore we keep saying see i can't get the it factor 
Mm-hmm. So that person has it. I'll never be able to get it. And, and it just continues. That was a great point that I just, I never thought of it that way. So Scott, there is a man in my Toastmasters group who joined very around the same time I did. He is a refugee. His family is a refugee from the former Soviet Union. And he did not know English as his first language. And he speaks with an accent that has dramatically improved, but he has an accent and probably always will. When he first started, he had a tendency to speak softly. He had a tendency to have a monotone. He had a tendency to over-intellectualize, to be overly stiff and formal. He's recently sent me a video of a of a speech that he wanted to give for a contest. I was blown away. His vocal variety, his energy, the expansiveness of his hand motions, his moving around, his ability to transform into this unbelievable persona. My jaw hit the floor. What he did to develop that it factor was work, was work, work, work. There are situations where the raw talent is there and the person may believe it inside. They may know it because there's simply no question. The singer Whitney Houston comes to mind. Mm-hmm. But sometimes they haven't, they either have personal issues or they might not have had to work in the way that my friend does. The theme of this event is attitude of gratitude. My friend is grateful for what he's able to do now because he's had to work so hard for it. One of the tragedies about people sometimes who haven't had to work for the it factor, whose natural gifts are so strong that they haven't had to commit the same way that my friend has. Again, Whitney Houston comes to mind is that they can take that element that gives them a natural it factor for granted. They might not have gratitude for it. The last album Whitney Houston released. I don't know if anyone heard the single off of it because it was a flop. Her voice sounded so bad. It had been utterly destroyed and she wasn't even old yet. And that to me, there was a tragedy. The it factor also was gone. What's going to be sustainable? She wasn't sustainable, at least as a viable recording artist despite having an it factor that she probably was born with and had spent some time developing. But my friend of my Toastmasters group, the work that he put into developing and creating that it factor is also going to be what makes it sustainable. And sustainability, I'm curious, to me, is part of what truly makes someone an it factor. What makes you that Madonna whose career lasts forever, even though she couldn't sing nearly as well as Whitney Houston? Let's be honest about that. But she has sustained herself, has she not? Her voice hasn't burned out. She's still there, just as my friend will be. What do you think contributes to that sustainability? Work and openness to change. But work. Mm. Your nose in the (laughs) you-know-what. It doesn't have to be there anymore. You know, there's something that the three of you point, hinted towards that I wanted to also create a space around, and it's this concept of belief. 
I think belief does play a big role, whether it's belief in self or having someone else believe in you. And I'm curious to hear from the three of you, whoever wants to start off first, please go ahead and jump in. But who was the first person that believed in you? The one that still hasn't escaped your mind, the one that you always fall back on when you think about that question, that undoubtedly, regardless of what you were doing, they just believed in you as a person more than any particular project that you were a part of. So I'll start by saying that I've had people believing in me from, from the get-go. My parents are very supportive. I've had a lot of loving, great people in my life. And what I will say is, let's talk about the beliefs we were believing in. So they believed in me and wanted me to believe certain things. And uh, some of them were great. And some of them follow the career path, be a lawyer, and just and just don't worry about career satisfaction. Not necessarily that great, right? Some of these beliefs were beneficial to me then and are still beneficial to me now. But some of these beliefs I'm trying to shed and unlearn. And so I've had people believing in me in, a, in beneficial ways and non-beneficial ways from the get-go. So I think what you're saying is, when did I really have someone believe in me that really aligned with mm-hmm. what I wanted? Mm-hmm. And one, that means I needed to know what I wanted, <laughs> which, which I think I just found out last, you know, last Tuesday. Um, <laughs> or I'm, I'm still trying to figure out, right? But I, uh, there's the folks on this panel right now have been people who believe in me and have told me things. There's been people, obviously my parents throughout the years and my sister and my wife. Um, It's harder to see sometimes because they have certain beliefs they want for you. And then they believe in you in ways you want, but then they believe in you in ways that are sort of forced on you. So it's a little bit of a mixed bag. It's harder to see, but I know it's there but it's a little harder to see Um, where I think you're getting at are the people that just unadulterated believe in you in a way that challenges you and, and really aligns with you at that time. And, and it's these people, it's my business partner, Adam Millette at leave law behind um, who's been just a great mentor for me as much as a business partner. Um, But it's happened kind of later in life. And I think partly because I've been more clear on what I wanted to believe. And I've been able to see that my parents and the people that love me, I've been able to kind of sift through and see the areas where they've believed in me in a positive way, but then also reflected on ways where, okay, that's just, and I have kids, I'm doing the same thing. That's just a parent kind of imposing his or her beliefs, which is what, what parents do. So I want to make that distinction. Part of it, I felt like, oh God, I've only had people believe in me in the past year. And that's not the case. I think I'm the one that has become more clear on what I want to believe in. I don't know if that makes sense. What do you do in situations where you feel like the belief is not genuine? Well, when it's not genuine, I, I realize that is their belief and that it's not mine. Mm. So, so it is genuine to them. Mm -hmm. Um, but just things change. There's, there's a disconnect, right? Like Whitney Houston, just the music sang to Scott back in the day and then something shifted, right? Her energy granted, whatever it was, 
Um, and so it's similar. I mean, there may be a time where someone who's a loved one in my life has this belief and it is genuine. And then there's a disconnect. I, I shift, they shift, they kind of fall out of love and they're doing it for more selfish reasons. I don't know what the source is, but like Justice Potter said, you, you know it when you see it, right? You know it when you feel it. Um, and that's okay. That you, it's, I don't think it's any reason to have shame or regret or get angry. You just realize that it's, it's, it's time to move on from that belief. Mm-hmm. Steve. Um, again, very, very blessed with my parents and my sister when I was growing up, 100%, whatever I wanted to do, believed in me, supported me, cheered me on. Uh, of course, you know, back, I've got a couple of years on, on you guys. Uh, <laughs> that was back when parents used to tell us, you know, get a good education, get a good job with a good company with good benefits and basically put your head down for 45 years and then retire yeah. with security. Well, my sister went that way and, and it works for her. It never worked for me. And, and I barely graduated college when I was 22 years old, 62 and thousands of a point from not graduating <laughs> because I was just fighting this whole, that whole model. Uh, and, and plugged into it and wrote it right till the last bit of gas was just about to come out of the tank and graduated. Two years after that, I was pretty much broken, depressed, and, and directionless. I just was kind of just surviving. And my friend Danny knew that I'd wanted to be on the radio, in entertainment, in comedy. And he kept asking, why didn't you ever follow your dream? And one day I just said, I don't know. And I don't even know how to do it. So I called the local radio station, talked to a DJ. And said, look, I'm thinking of getting into radio. What should I do? And she named a school down near Boston, borrowed some money from my grandfather. Day one of class, it was an eight-week course down near Boston. Day one of class, I said, oh, this is what I want to do. And I I had no skills at all, but I had that it thing. And I knew that it was there. I just had to polish and, you know, start as that grain of sand. I went through the eight weeks. I got an internship at a radio station that we had grown up listening to. So for me, this was bedtime, even though there wasn't even a paycheck attached to it. And I drove all the way to my friend Danny's house and I told him about it. He was so proud and he gave me the, I told you so, I knew you would love it and I knew you'd be great at it. And he passed away three weeks after that moment. Uh, But what I got from that, which has actually shaped who I become as a speaker is when someone else sees your it factor, when someone else knows you'd be great at something or just sees that ability in you and they try to help polish it up or at least point you in the right direction to see it, Scott, they point you to where that light pole is. Even in the dark, they say, walk this way and you'll find it. That's who I become as a speaker. So it helped the it factor there even better. And everything I've done since, it always goes back to somebody seeing that within me when I didn't. And now I try to be that person as a speaker, as a coach for others. And I think if we all can identify those moments in however many years it's been, I was 24 when that happened. I'm 53 now. That's going to work and help us the rest of our lives. Even on the days where it might be a little tough, someone else showed us that we had it. We just need to keep believing it and tapping back into that ourselves. Do you look at that as almost a form of responsibility? The fact that he had, you know, hinted towards this and was able to connect you to different resources and stuff like that. Like, is that what ended up happening? Yeah, I believe so. Uh, I, I really think we owe it to ourselves to become the best version of ourselves. Some people seem to have all the most incredible natural talent in the world. And we look at them when they don't do anything with it. And we say, well, what a waste because they weren't happy 
Mm-hmm. They had all that potential in the world. It's it's kind of like musicians and songwriters. And I used to have a, a a quote that I said, you know, the the ones that sharpen their talent will write their own music and sing and play anywhere they can. And some others would just sit in the basement and get stoned and dream about maybe someday I'll be rich. Mm-hmm. And they never they never take it and do something with it. Uh, sometimes we see it on these talent shows where singers come out. I one particular one on The Voice a few years ago. This young man, a little shy, very introverted, wasn't super comfortable at his audition, but he got picked for Team Adam, uh, Adam Levine from Maroon Five. He wound up winning the competition because Adam said, I saw and I heard this thing, eyes closed. This kid's got something. And he helped him polish that talent up. And if you look it up, his name was Jordan Smith. Look up Jordan Smith, Somebody to Love, the Queen song, which he did a week before the final. Had that been the final, he was sewn up that night to watch him and see him in his it factor and shining was amazing. And I think if we, if we continue to believe in it and surround ourselves with the people who can help us make it the brightest it can be and enjoy the process, not just say someday, but enjoy yeah. the process, I think we're going to do much better. Mm-hmm. Scott Mason, who is the first person to believe in you? Steve and Casey are pointing to an important wrinkle in that question. Believe in me with regards to what? Going particularly to what Casey was raising. Mm-hmm. A couple of years ago, I heard that a nonprofit that I had been associated with was having some issues with its growth. In particular, I had heard that the CEO of this nonprofit was not sure whether the existing organizational structure and staff that he had at a high level was really right for what it needed to become and that that was, it was driving him nuts. Now that's something that a person like me who's very creative out of the box growth oriented could work with an organization like that on. And I offered my services to them. And as was his right to do, he said, "Eh, that's not really right. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm not interested. Thank you. Which is totally cool. Then he said, but I do have, I may have some, uh, I may have some work writing rules and regulations. And I think you'd be good for that if you're interested. So that person believed in me insofar as he saw I had capacity to write detailed rules and regulations. That begs the question, believing you as to what? As to some minor thing, I've had plenty of bosses that have believed that I'm capable of menial tasks or of sitting in a corner doing things like this all day with a dunce cap on my head. I don't really count that as believing me capable of everything that Providence, I believe, has put within me. Yeah. Those who have truly believed in the limitlessness of my possibility, I would say the first person really has been my husband. Mm. Maybe 
maybe some people, no, I would I say maybe even before him, there's a, a woman named Susan Cruz who I worked with, who has followed me and my podcast and all this since I began in this journey. And she's been a hundred percent supportive. So I would say she might predate my husband. My family, I cannot say that I don't think that they disbelieved in me. They believed, for instance, that I would be a good lawyer because I would argue back with them about everything. But that's not really believing in my full potential. And those are people who, due to life circumstances and limited vision and all of that sort of stuff, none of which negatively reflect on them, just don't, I believe, have a full understanding of the scope of possibilities uh, that someone might have coming from their milieu. So they believed in me to the extent of their own imaginations. But that's not where my imagination is. So I would say that those, and Susan Cruz in particular, mm-hmm. I don't know that she would say, I believed in you being able to be X, Y, Z, a speaker that people would find dynamic and interesting, but she believed in broadly the possibilities that the universe could open up for me were I to pursue them. In a way, that's even bigger. That's even bigger. Mm. Reminds me from a scene. I don't know if any of you have seen, have any of you seen Ted, the movie? Yeah. Where he stands up in the middle and he says, I object. <laughs> Everything that you just said as far as having the ability to argue back. Maybe actually, I'm surprised that I didn't pursue a lawyer degree that I was exceptional at it when I was younger. My mom could attest to that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. My husband's very good at it too. He used to not be, but he's developed this incredible skill around <laughs> arguing back. <laughs> Make him stop, please. I would, you know, I would have made the worst lawyer on the planet because I, I don't like uh, conflict. I don't debate. I don't argue. I would just, uh, whatever. <laughs> you know, let's, let's, just, let's just come to a happy agreement right now and just agree to disagree. And, you know, let's make some popcorn and watch a movie. That's, you know, I, would, I would have been the worst attorney in the world. People would have walked in and said, here's your court appointed attorney. They'd see me and I'd go, hi. <laughs> not going to end well. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think it's important to realize in life, you know, there's the examples of Colonel Sanders being over 50 or over 60 when he started his business and all these examples of older people doing things. And, you know, I'm 47, I'm old. Uh, and I, my kids think so, and I'm definitely not 27, but I'm realizing there's this level of not even rebirth. It's this unlearning, but it's also this idea that you can find someone, you can believe in yourself and you can find people to believe in you or run into them at any time. And it just came to me that maybe it's the best time now because when you meet new people, even if they won't have the same rich color of you from high school or the dinner table or college, they're seeing you now. There's no baggage. You're a blank slate to them. And it may even be easier for them, like Scott, you know, the Sonia that you mentioned, for them to say, oh, I totally see it. I mean, when I saw Scott come in with his energy, it was like, I mean, it wasn't hard for me to believe in Scott. Just, I had no preconceived. I just met him last year. But I mean, he just overwhelmed with his energy and engagement and his stories and everything. And in some ways, it got me thinking, like, maybe the newer friends, the newer people in your life really 
they come in, it's a universe saying, okay, it's a, you haven't believed in yourself yet, or maybe you did it partly. I'm going to introduce you to so-and-so who, who, who only has a snapshot of you, a recent one, but listen to them, you know, listen to them. So. 100% per perfectly, perfectly explained. Mm -hmm. I, I also think it, it touches upon a, a really interesting point and it's, you're right. I think to a degree, at least I choose to believe in this, the whole concept of the universe bringing certain people into your life. I think much of that goes, I don't know how to even explain this in words, but I think much of it starts with me choosing to put my attention to the topic at hand. So if I'm wanting to experience different relationships, then I think that does start with me trying to dream up of what those relationships yeah. look like, break it down into concept, do the vision board, even if it is just putting certain words on it, relationships yeah. that illustrate learning, community, belonging, love, all these other things. And then from there, I have no idea what happens. I have no idea how it happens, nor am I going to try and control and understand that process. But I think it does somehow bring those, it, it, it attracts, it, it attracts the energies. I mean, thinking about how the four of us have met, I have no idea. I have no idea why Leah Frankel thought it would be a great idea to introduce me to Scott Mason with whom I have a conversation with scheduled for 15 minutes. Next thing I know is we're talking for like two or two and a half hours and both of us are writing endless notes, literally like completing notebooks from one conversation. Same thing with Casey, same thing with you, Steve. And so I, I'm just, I really get curious as far as, there's only so much that I can control from my end. And that's probably is that version of envisioning, thinking differently. That's why this whole series, the name behind it, Attitude of Gratitude, in my opinion, everything starts with the attitude. When, and I would say like to that part of the work, you asked Scott, how do you get the factor? And Scott just dramatically and rightfully said work. Part of the work is yeah. letting go. Yeah. Part of the work is being open to receiving. Part of the work is just, I'm just going to let part of the work is not having to control everything and just letting the sale take you. Part of the work is saying, I just got introduced to this person. I don't know why. And Oleg did it. It's at 830. I really don't. I'm so busy, but I'm still going to take the call. Right. That's part of the work. Yeah. <laughs> Scott. Yeah, I, I'm just seeing DJ here. I, I just have to say, I, I don't want to interject myself, but I have to. DJ, thank you for these comments. It's it's so wonderful to see you again, especially after the sharing that you did on another show we had last night. Uh, it really touched me. <laughs> Going back to the story of the field and the torch and everyone racing to get there. Casey, what I'm hearing you say, and an example can be those that are distracted by maybe a, a, a pile of food that someone put out. You see other people hitting the torch or hitting the thing and seeing the, the bolt of light come out. And you're like, damn, I want that light. This ham sandwich is good. <laughs> <laughs> that is the reality. <laughs> That is the reality right. of the matter. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I, I don't know. That looks a lot. It's going to take a lot of work. 
uh, and I don't even know if I'm worthy. And, mm. you know, if I do hit the light, then I don't know, I might get audited by the IRS or I might make a bunch of money or I might lose it. Or then I'll be bigger. Steve mentioned playing small in the first minute. I mean, do I really want to be, I don't know. It's a fear of the unknown. Now I'm big. Like, I don't know being small is comfortable because it's familiar. I know what I'm, I'm the cat in the window that just kind of snoozes. I'm not the the alley cat that goes out because I could get hurt. I mean, literally, I think, you know, Steve, you mentioned it right on about just playing small. And so it's the ham sandwich. It's the the comfort and convenience. And I think there's also that element of, of uh, it's the unknown. It's the devil we know. And, mm-hmm. you know. Ethics play into this. I will insist until the day I die, though. The ethical imperative to yeah. optimize the gifts that we have. And so I will always push people respectfully, but harshly. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Being that cat in the window taking a snooze is an ethical crime. Mm-hmm. I agree. Now, I will say the hustle, don't sleep, sleep is for the dead. Scott's not saying don't sleep. Yeah, no. In fact, I'm taking a nap the minute I'm done with you people. That's right. (laughs) Take care of yourself, right? I think, you know, I think the idea of work is everything is hustle and burn the candle at both ends. For some reason, that's what we've been programmed. Work is, and you have an ethic to do. So don't misinterpret what Scott's saying. Take care of yourself and rest and work just isn't burning the midnight oil, but it's that, it's that intention. It's that drive that we're talking about here. And knowing that if you have a nap, you know, that's helping you with, with this end result. So. Mm -hmm. I know that we are going to the top of the hour here. So I want to be respectful of everyone else's time, but speaking on the concept of work and life, what are some ways that people can connect with your work and what you're doing? And I figured Steve, if you would like to kick us off and I'll show the, the website here at the bottom for sure anyone thing. that's listening right now. Yeah. Uh, what was just talked about, about work, 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 work in that dynamic. Some people say work-life balance. <clears throat> I prefer to go with what Tony, uh, Tony Shea said from Zappos, work-life integration. We have mm-hmm. our physical health, our career, our finances, our emotional well-being, our relationships, our connection to the world, our spirituality, our ethics and morals. And we have material things and all of these things working together. I believe we have to look at them all and how they all support and make all of the other parts better Mm -hmm. so that we show up better prepared every day. That's what I do, who I am, how I share it and how I teach it. And all of my materials and everything I do is at motivationalfirewood.com. Casey, what are some ways people can connect with you? Yeah, this is great. Everyone, I am actually signing up with Steve next month. So uh, where, where I have the mind space to do, cannot wait. Please check out Steve. It's, it's, I can't wait to do it. I'm, I'm like, you know, ready for life change, but you can find me at leavelawbehind.com. I help unhappy attorneys to leave their jobs in the legal industry and find alternative non-law jobs that they enjoy or find me on LinkedIn. I'm connected with all of these three fine gentlemen. Mm. Scott Mason. Speakerscott.com. I just realized I had power of your story. That's fine. Similar topic, right? That's exactly. (laughs) If any of you out here listening or watching are interested in someone that can speak about connection to higher purpose, to build a better self and a better world, your homeboy knows how to talk. (laughs) 
speakerscott.com. Also, my podcast, purposehighway.com. The theme is people connecting to their higher purpose to build a better self and a better world as, as well. These are people who have changed their lives, found their mission, and transformed. The one I have today, I hope people take a second look at. Her story is unbelievable. That's that's who I am. No, thank you. And thank you all for being a part of it. You know, for anyone, as I mentioned earlier, like anyone that's watching, anyone tuning in, please consider supporting our show and everything that we're doing. But outside of that, just the three of you, in all seriousness, thank you for, oh. for everything that you're doing. It's it's incredible. To it's, be an, part of it's, a, it's an honor to be here, Oleg. You're doing amazing stuff. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if this show has had any form of impact in your life, please consider making a contribution through our website or leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can hear these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we'll look forward to having you next time.